This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's a joy to be here, to spend time looking into God's Word and to be with God's people. And I pray that this morning to come, it could be a burdensome week that you have had, but as we come together that we pray God's Word will lift us up and to strengthen us. So shall we pray together and ask God to help us do that? Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to your presence as a family in Christ to sing praises to you to hear from you and to speak to you. Father, we pray for all of us here after a long week as we gather that you will strengthen us and engage our minds and our hearts and strengthen our hands. Be with us today as we open up your word. In his name and in Christ's glory. Amen. Now, for for various religions, the founders are mostly treated with reverence, if not respect and are hardly with ridicule. But the founder of Christianity has received a whole range of responses. The person of Jesus Christ has been viewed in all sorts of ways through all kinds of cultures. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant, some are humorous, some are horrendous, some are with great respect, others with detest. The person of Jesus Christ has been presented in all sorts of ways. Now, with the help of Google, if you just flip Google like I did, you'll uncover all kinds of Jesus uh, that people looked at. There are Jesus merchandise where Jesus gets, I got a picture there, where Jesus gets linked to gym, to coffee. Do, do I have that? Oh, there you go. Um, Jesus is linked to like gyms, coffee, guns, muscles. As you read on in words, you see Jesus uh, is being used in a range of jokes, including political jokes like President XYZ spans, but no worry, Jesus saves. Or the name of Jesus when it's being mentioned in circular movies almost always lands up in the category with the other swear words. Now, to be fair, of course, there are much better presentation of Jesus around us than this, well, depending on how the Bible is quoted or misquoted. Well, perhaps Jesus is the one who calls for world peace, one who is compassionate to all, a role model of gentleness, a wise teacher. There are countless of views of Jesus. But as Christians, you and I know that at the end of the day, what is most important It's not how the culture has viewed Jesus, but how does the real Jesus look like? Because you and I as Christians, we know that a wrong view of Jesus affects everything and all our views, our views of God and people, our views of money and, um, uh, money and work, sickness and health, purpose, morals, rights, wrongs, present, future, life, death, everything under the sun is affected by our view of Jesus. And so as Christians, we are always called to come back to scriptures to understand who Jesus really is. And this is exactly what we'll do today as we step into Matthew 11 and next week in Matthew 12. Because this morning we will follow Matthew and take a peek at the various collision of views of Jesus. Various, Jew- various views of Jesus will be presented, challenges will be posted, And at the end of the day, the listeners 
must decide on their view of Jesus. So let's jump in to hear these views. In fact, beginning with one of the greatest prophets that we have. For he himself had to wrestle with his view of Jesus. Because it will affect his life and his death. So come with me to Matthew chapter 11 as I begin verse 1 and 2 for us. If you have your Bible, keep it open. You'll be great uh, to follow along. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? Now John had already appeared back in Matthew 3 as a great prophet. His job description was to pave the way for the Lord's find, for the Lord's grand arrival, and and John had declared boldly back in Matthew three that judgment is near. Everyone needs to repent before the Lord Himself arrives. So John has been doing that, but now John, as he says that he didn't wake up one day and say, "Hmm, what should I be? I should be this great prophet." He didn't because his job description was already pre-written for him by God. In fact, it was the very last passage of the Old Testament uh, that we have, all the Hebrew Scriptures. This is the ending of, um, of the Old Testament in Malachi. Let me read this to you. God is declaring to Israel that a great prophet is going to come to announce the Lord's arrival, and this is what it said. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children, the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So John, the baptizer, he knew his job description, and his, he knew that his job was to call people to repent, to repent because the Lord is coming. So in the wilderness, John the Baptist had cried out, he said this, in the wilderness, the axe is near. It's laid there, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down. And he declares that because the Lord is coming. And his words came right out of another great prophet, Isaiah. Uh, this is what Isaiah said in chapter 10, verse 34, which, which John has used. Let me read this for us. Isaiah, the great prophet, before that said, He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. You know, John, as he was going about, he was expecting judgment to come when God's Messiah appears. And just a few chapters, John has already identified and acknowledged the Messiah has come and the Messiah is Jesus. So if Jesus has come, judgment is here. So surely with a winnowing fork, Jesus the Messiah will gather his harvest of kingdom people. He'll burnt up all those who are not. But, but guess what? Now John is in prison. He's listening carefully to what Jesus is doing. He's been sending his disciples. His disciples have been listening, coming back to inform him the works of Jesus. And this is what he hears. He's not hearing a winnowing fork being uh, lashed around. He's hearing Jesus doing all kinds of great things and crowds are gathering around him in joy and laughter, enjoying free food and getting healed and all the good stuff. If you're John, what will you do? As John was in the prison, his, his, his thinking is this, have, have I got it wrong? 
So poor John who is in prison, he needs to work this out. Did he miss anything? He can't go to Jesus, he's in prison. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this question. And the disciples uh, are to go off and ask Jesus, verse 3, Are you the one to come? Or should we expect someone else? So the disciples went out. It's not difficult to find Jesus. Where the crowds are, you can find Jesus. And they went to Jesus and asked him John's question. And Jesus, he didn't reply yes and no, but he left a riddle for John to answer. He said to his disciples, verse 4, if you've seen it, he says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, those who are considered unclean, you know, those cursed and separated from God's people, those unclean, they are made clean. Those who can't hear the word of God now hears the voice of Jesus. The dead are raised, the poor receiving great news. What do you think, John? Who do you think I am? John, who is familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, will have to piece the puzzle for himself. Obviously, Jesus was not asking John to just like him because Jesus does miracles and like him like the crowd does. But Jesus is pointing John back to the very prophet Isaiah that John had quoted about God's judgment. In order for John to see that Jesus is living out the Messiah that's been prophesied, We've read this early on in our um, responsive reading, but let's read this. Let me read this for us in Isaiah 35, verse 5 to 6. Jesus uh, is doing what Isaiah said. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. This is what Jesus has been doing now. John has to fix the puzzle. How does he fix what he's been preaching with what Jesus is doing? And here's the link, I think. Just before this passage in verse 5 and 6, verse 4 comes in this way. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. So as the Messiah arrives, there are actually two parts to his mission. The first part, indeed, he will bring judgment to God's enemies, but he will come to bring rescue for those who cry out to God. And again, in Isaiah 61, verse 1, regarding Jesus preaching good news, this is what Isaiah said. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to the prisoners. Again, Jesus is preaching good news. How is it linked to what John has been preaching? And this is the link, I think, because the next verse of Isaiah 61, after preaching good news, it says, To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. So the Messiah, he will bring judgment the way that John describes, but he first will come to offer salvation. So even the great John the Baptizer will have to wrestle with his understanding of whether Jesus is God's Messiah because Jesus, he will come to judge because the world, but because the world is so hopeless, Jesus will have to come to first offer rescue. So Jesus intentionally speaks not of judgment, but of his rescue so that John will have to reconcile and have to accept Jesus the way he has revealed himself. 
With that, Jesus concludes verse 6, if you look at it with me. Jesus said, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, dear friends, if John's view of Jesus has to be challenged, if John has to learn to recognize Jesus on his own terms, we too are called to view Jesus in his terms, to review Jesus in the way that he reviews himself. He's both the Savior and the judge. The, the problem comes when we view Jesus with a partial view of him. That he is that loving one who, who gives love to everyone and no one goes to hell. Or the other way, he's the, he's the ugly one that will put even the old lady into hell just because she didn't accept Jesus. But no, Jesus is one who both comes with rescue and comes with judgment. Now we can only imagine John's, uh, the rest of John's life because it's not unpacked very much what John says after that. Because John, he will not see Jesus die on the cross, be risen, and to see the glorious Christ. He will see an immoral king who asks his head on a platter. But before that happens, he will wrestle with his view of Jesus. Did he miss it out or has he been right? He has finished his journey, his mission, and the Messiah has come. Now, before anyone thinks too lowly of John the baptizer, Jesus says as John's disciples were heading off, he said this, listen up. John, he's the greatest among all men. Verse 9 tells us John is more than a prophet. In fact, verse 11 tells us among those who are born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, this is a very high view of Jesus because there are some in the Jewish history that no one would dare to compare with. A Jew would never compare himself equal with Abraham, the father of the Jews. A Jew would never dare to compare himself with Moses, the receiver of God's law. A Jew would never compare himself with King David, the greatest king. A Jew would never compare himself with Solomon, his one with the greatest wisdom. But Jesus comes here and say, John, the one in prison, is greater than all of them. Now the question will come in, how is John greater than all the others? I think the answer is this, because John was born as a forerunner of God's Lord, or God's Messiah himself. While the rest of the great prophets, while the rest of the great men in Jewish history, they are carrying the signboard and say, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. John the baptizer comes in and says, the Lord is coming, and he opens up the door to reveal the Lord, the Lord himself to the people. But if that is shocking to a Jewish listener, Jesus has one more shocking statement to make in the same verse in 11. And he says this, look at verse 11, look at verse 11 with me. He says this, Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. If that statement that John is greater than Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, and David, and all the others, then the next statement is actually, even more shocking because he says, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John, meaning those who follow Jesus will be greater than even the greatest prophet. Now, how does that work if you are a Christian? I think the answer is this, because 
those who comes to Jesus and who comes after John, they get to witness and enter the kingdom of heaven through the king himself. They will get to witness the resurrected Jesus, the victorious one whose kingdom comes. Now, John is the greatest of and the last of the Old Testament prophets. He gets to proclaim the Lord. He gets to open the door. But those who comes with Jesus, they enter with the king into the kingdom. And all who believe in Jesus will be greater because of the king. But now, sadly, as we carry on Matthew 11, we realize that the world actually does not welcome God's king. Jesus paints the picture of how his kingdom will arrive. Because in the past, the prophets carried the signboards. In the present, John the Baptist opens the door to show the king. But the response of the world was with violence. And as he speaks about violence since John's time, guess where's John? Everyone knows where's John. John is in the prison. The messenger of the king is in prison and Jesus says, and so will be the king. They will kill the messenger. They will kill the king. But he goes on to say, verse 15. But um, he goes on to say that, verse 15, that, um, Whoever has ears, let them hear this happening. Because they are meant to witness John's death. They are meant to witness the king's death. And they are meant to recognize that violence and the kingdom comes in together. And with that, Jesus moves on to describe the world's view of him and how violence comes in. And so look with me if you have your Bible to verse 16. And another riddle comes in. Verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in a marketplace, calling out to others. Now as Jesus moves on from John the baptizer, his view of Jesus, he moves on to the rest of the generation amongst him. Their view of Jesus. He compares them like children in a marketplace, playing a game of make-believe. Have you ever seen children playing games of make-believe? No, I've I have two kids, and when they play make-believe, one will tell a story, the other man to, to do, to replicate what the, the narrator was doing. And if one refused to do it, the other gets really upset. I don't know if your kids play that. Uh, nobody seems to have kids that play make-believe. Um, but, but that's how kids do when they're young. They, someone will make up a story, the other will. Like when, when I had my kids, one of them will say, ah, I've got a, rabbit here and they will talk to the rabbit for half an hour and I'll come in like where is the rabbit but that you don't understand there is a rabbit and then the other one pops out with another creature I don't know what dragon or something in the house like my place is not very big but there's a dragon and both of them sees the dragon except me when kids play make believe they are meant to one will come out with something the other man to respond and here's what Jesus is saying the world is giving a storyline but John and Jesus does not play that game. So the world, the generation, there are children sitting in the marketplace. The crowds are shouting to John and Jesus, verse 17. We played the pipe for you. You did not dance. We sang the funeral song to you. You did not cry. What's up? But John, he was totally focused on his mission. And he didn't eat with the right religious people and say, he is a demon-possessed man. 
Jesus comes in, shares a meal with the rejects, love them, laugh with them, and say, this is a glutton. If you don't care about the religious elites, you are demon-possessed. If you care about the social rejects, you are a glutton. That is the blindness of that generation. Perhaps not just that generation, perhaps our generation as well. Now, dear friends, are there ways our generation to place a song for God to dance or place a tune for Jesus to cry? Now, perhaps our generation wants a Jesus who loves but not a Jesus who judges. So we might be tempted, even as Christians, to speak more of the love of Jesus but less of his judgment. Or perhaps our generation wants a Jesus who quickly forgives, but not a Jesus who demands repentance. And so we might be tempted, perhaps even our own prayer, to speak loudly that Jesus forgives, but softly that we need to make radical change and really turn from sin. Or perhaps our generation wants a Jesus who heals, not a Jesus who says, persevere till the end. And so we are tempted in our prayers to pray earnestly, Lord, Please bring healing, but softly on Lord, help us to persevere if we do not. Now, I know I'm speaking to Christians because we are Christians here and we all want to recognize Jesus for who he is. We all want to proclaim Jesus faithfully to others. But perhaps Jesus' words today uh, is a good reminder for us Christians that it will be hard work if you want to be faithful because the world does not play the same tune. If we are faithful and we are to stay faithful to Jesus, there will be times where our gospel sharing of Jesus' love and judgment may become more offensive than it has been. But it might entail a deeper love for the ones that we pick up courage to say. Perhaps our prayer, our personal prayer for forgiveness of sins will be more demanding that as we ask God to forgive us, that we will demand ourselves, that we really want to repent. Perhaps our prayer for a dying loved one will verbalize, when we verbalize it, it will be more painful to say it to the one who is lying there, but more hopeful, because they will receive in confidence what the Lord promised. No, we will be willing to correct skilled views of Jesus in our generation and perhaps in our own lives in our own prayers. You know, Jesus' generation as well as ours, we, we, we all want a likable Jesus. But we need to come to have a Jesus who reveals himself as both loving and offensive. That's the news he gave last week when he sent them out for mission. That's what he's been doing in the past and that's what he will carry on for those who stand out as his people in a generation that plays a different tune. And so Jesus declares in verse 19, But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Meaning that despite the violence against John, despite the violence against Jesus, God's wisdom will be proven right on the day Jesus resurrected from the dead, and the day of judgment, that he will be proven right. And as Jesus speaks about that, he starts to show a glimpse of his winnowing fork the one that John has been speaking about. And this is why he says, verse 20, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. 
and he says, how terrible is Chorazin or Bethsaida or Capernaum? You know, great miracles have been done in these towns, but because Jesus did not dance to their music or to their tune, what did they do? They reject Jesus. They reject Jesus. They refuse to repent when it's called upon them. And so Jesus says, you think you're going to heaven? Let me tell you, you're heading towards hell. Those who have seen Jesus' miracles are not guaranteed heaven. But those who did not repent are shown the way that they're heading. So on the final day of judgment, when the world must give account, those hideous Gentiles, the Tyre, the Sidon, the Sodom, they're in a much better place than those filled with Jews who have sinned the Lord and refused to repent. Now this is a serious warning, actually, for Jesus, for the unrepented generation of his time and for our time. Because the time will come where Jesus will condemn on judgment that those who were not Christians, who have not heard the gospel, they will be judged. But how much more for those who have heard and just turned away and scorned at his word and his offer? Now, Philip Jensen puts it this way. Uh, he said this once. He said, when an unrepented person does not want to see God, he will not see God even if God stands right in front of him. That's the problem. That's the problem of Jesus' generation and ours. Jesus is going through the, the towns that are waiting for the king, and he has done miracles there and called them to repent, and they refused. By their unrepentance, even as God walks right in front of them, they cannot see it. And we must be very careful that our views about Jesus in our time will not be blinded by unrepented sins or influenced by the tunes of the world that's played for us. That's why we always come back to God's word to be clear the Lord that we are following rather than the tune of the world. So look on with me as we look at 25 to 27 because Jesus then comes on to say there will be a group who will see him There will be those who do not. Let me read verse 25 for us. At the time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal. Now, this is something that Jesus begins to reveal about himself. For, for John the baptizer and for the prophets before him, none of them have direct access to God. They, they have revelation to know about God. John gets to know God. He gets to know about God. But not Jesus. Jesus didn't, re- didn't receive a revelation about God. Rather, Jesus, he said he knew God himself personally. And exclusively, if you look at verse 27, it is actually a very, very bold claim. Jesus is saying something that goes beyond any human bravery. This is a point that if he's wrong, it is called blasphemy. Jesus is declaring that he knows God in a way that is only possible if he himself is eternal like God. 
Because how else can anyone knows God personally inside out? Except one who is divine and is eternal. No, we have this exclusive claim of a son and God as a father. In scriptures, we have it alluded in Psalms 2, 2 Samuel 7 about someone who is like, uh, who is called the son of God. But no one has exclusively made this claim personally until Jesus comes. But in fact, it's not Jesus who first made it uh, known because in his baptism when John was there, the heavens opened and it was the voice from heaven to say, and this is my son whom I'm pleased and loved. And to that exclusiveness that God is the Father, Jesus adds on to say that, and He is the Son, a Son that no one else dares to claim. This claim of sonship involves divinity. And Jesus has said this more than one time. In fact, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus said something like that, the people understood and they want to kill Him. Let me read to you the claim of Jesus in John 5. John 5, 16 to 18. Let me read this for us. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too. I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That is the way Jesus reveals himself. And that's the way that he wants people to respond to him. Because he is the only one who knows God the Father perfectly. And having been committed and given all things, he is the only one that will allow people to have access to God. He is the one who stands between God and man. He is the exclusive mediator for man to go to God, and he's the exclusive revealer of God to men. And that's what Jesus is revealing about his own view of himself. Now, we have missed out two verses right earlier on, which talks about the wise and little children. What was it about the wise and the children and their linkage to knowing God or knowing Jesus? If you look at verse 25, 26, let me read to you again. It's linked to Jesus' proclamation. At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, if you just pause a bit, look at verse 25, 26. Uh, it's, it's a comparison, but it's a, clearly a comparison not of cleverness. It's not about the clever versus the less or uh, less clever among humans. It's not a comparison of those who are wise or foolish in human sense, but rather this so-called comparison of the wise and the little children has got everything to do with dependence. Because those who are children, one thing, when, when I was having Bible study, say, what's one thing that children have that, that adults don't exist? Oh, innocence. Look at the person and say, obviously you have no kids. <laughs> um, all parents will know. When we talk about children, it's not about their innocence. It's about their dependence. So Jesus is bringing out the comparison. Those who are wise, those who are learned, those who are self-sufficient, and those who are dependent. The wise will not find God. 
the children, meaning the lowly, the, those who are dependent, those who are poor in spirit, they will recognize God's King because they are desperate, they are waiting. And they will come to Him for rescue and they will get it. And to this lowly, dependent, poor in spirit, those who are willing to view Jesus rightly as God's Messiah, Jesus comes on to this last part where He offers and He declares an offer that's unprecedented. An offer that only God can give. And He offers it to those who seize Him. Look at verse 28 to 30. He's offering a love and care that only God the Father can give. So let me read 28 to 30 for us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not to those who are weary, who are burdened by the weights and the effects of sins, but our sin against God, our sins against others, others' sins against us. To those who are weary and burdened by the evil and the brokenness of this world that's result of sin, things that shouldn't be happens, things that shouldn't be broken are broken. Those who are weary and burdened, those who are burdened by the impossibility to be good enough to talk to God face to face. To those who are weary and burdened, knowing that the world can never satisfy, Jesus says to you, who are weary and burdened, come to me. Come to me for rest. Jesus doesn't say, go and try harder. Jesus says, come. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. Find the rest in his lordship to rest on the truth of who he is. He's the promised king. He's the one who has offered salvation. He's the one who will judge he has both in his hand to decide. Come to him for rest. Rest on the truth that following Jesus is the only way to find God and to be accepted by God. The so-called wise and learned who think of themselves as sufficiently capable, good enough to deal with God directly, Jesus says, they will not see me. They will not see God. They will not come to me. The unrepentant who only believe a God and a Messiah, if God and Messiah dance to their music, Jesus, and they will not see God, they will not see me, and they will not have me. But to those who are weary and burdened, to those who are willing to follow Jesus, to recognize Him for who He said He is, Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. The rest that you long for, the rest from the weight of sin, the rest from the brokenness that you experience, the rest of the hopeless religiosity you try, from rest from the fear of judgment, from, for rest from a life that you see everything but you can't grab them because you die. And then Jesus says, And you take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now Jesus offers his yoke to accept his message, to accept his gospel, to call him Lord. Jesus offers his gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He has said that 
Earlier on, all the chapters before, he has given the briefing for his people to go out to bring this news. And he offers his yoke. We have already heard Jesus done that. And he says, learn from me. What is it about learning from Jesus? He has really given us, he started off in Sermon on Mount, chapter 5 to 7. Learn from me. Learn what it means to be kingdom people. Learn what it means to be poor in spirit. Learn what it means to receive heaven that you don't reserve, that you don't deserve. Learn from me. And he goes on, chapter 10 last week. Learn from me what it means to be kingdom people as you proclaim boldly, as you face violence. But do not fear, because wisdom will succeed at the end of the day. Come to me, learn from me, and you will find rest for your soul. Not in the future alone, but even today. That if we learn from Jesus, and we hear from Him, and we bear His yoke, Him being our Lord, He gives us the rest that we need. For those who do not need rest, Jesus says, you do not need me. Just like those who are not sick, you do not need the doctor, but Jesus says, I've come. For those who are burdened and weary, I've come. For those who are sick, I've come for those who long for eternity, who longs for reconciliation and knows not how. I come for those who will come to me, the little children. If you depend on me, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, dear friends, as we close this time, there is this specific offer of rest that Jesus offered to us, to you, to me. It's not a place that we can go to for holiday. It's a person that we are in, that we receive all this. Because in Jesus, all the promises of God finds its yes. In Jesus, all the hopes for reconciliation, all the hopes that wrongs will be set right, will be yes. For those who see brokenness and say, one day you will be perfect again, you find it yes in Jesus. But we have to have a right view of Jesus. That's how we started in the morning, just now. A wrong view of Jesus affects everything. And if wrong view of Jesus, even someone who say you're a Christian, but if there's a wrong view of Jesus, you'll not find rest. You'll still be burdened. You'll be asking for prayer for certain things that Jesus didn't promise, and you wonder if that is true. But for those with a right view of Jesus, they find rest in good times and difficult times. They draw strength by hearing His Word again and learn from Him who is humble and gentle. And for Jesus and in Him we receive all of this. So I just want to close this time in prayer. And I'll give us a bit of time to consider our view of Jesus. It could be right, you just need to be affirmed. Or it could be things that we need to wrestle with more. But let's take this time to pray and then I'll close us together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chapter of Matthew 11. Even as John the great baptizer wrestled with his view of Jesus, as Jesus speaks about how the world plays his tune for God and him to dance that he, they will not, that he will not. Father, we pray that you also help us as believers, as Christians, that God, you sharpen our view of Jesus. Because when we know Him, the way He reveals, when we learn from Him, that truly there is rest available for the weary and the burdensome. There is hope for those who are broken and dying. And there is joy for those who see the violence but yet holds on for the King. So Father, we pray that you help us whenever our understanding of Jesus collides with scriptures, that you help us to 
be reformed and be corrected that we may see Christ clearer and more and more each day. And let us never be stumbled by who Jesus is and what he demands, but he is truly our Savior and he will be the judge. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.